Section 2 of The Black Prophet by William Carleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 2. Chapter 3. A Family on the Decline. Omens. Jerry Sullivan's house and place had about them all the marks and tokens of gradual decline. The thatch on the roof had begun to get black, and in some places was sinking into rotten ridges. The yard was untidy and dirty. The walls and hedges were broken and dismantled, and the gates were lying about or swinging upon single hinges. The whole air of the premises was uncomfortable to the spectator, who could not avoid feeling that there existed in the owner either willful neglect or unsuccessful struggle. The chimneys from which the thatch had sank down stood up with the incrustations of lime that had been troweled around their bases, projecting uselessly out from them. Some of the coins had fallen from the gable. The plaster came off the walls in several places, and the whitewash was sadly discolored. Inside, the aspect of everything was fully as bad, if not worse. Tables and chairs and the general furniture of the house had all that character of actual cleanliness and apparent want of care which poverty superinduces upon the most strenuous efforts of industry. The floor was beginning to break up into holes. Tables and chairs were crazy. The dresser, though clean, had a cold, hungry, unfurnished look and what was unquestionably the worst symptom of all, the inside of the chimney brace, where formerly the sides and flitches of deep fat bacon, grey with salt, were arrayed in goodly rows, now presented nothing but the bare and dust-covered hooks from which they had depended in happier times. About a dozen of herrings hung at one side of a worn salt-box and at the other a string of onions that was nearly stripped, both constituting the principal kitchen, varied perhaps with a little buttermilk, which Sullivan's family were then able to afford themselves with their potatoes. We cannot close our description here, however, for sorry we are to say that the severe traces of poverty were as visible upon the inmates themselves as upon the house and its furniture. Sullivan's family consisted of his eldest daughter, aged nineteen, two growing boys, the eldest about sixteen, and several younger children besides. These last were actually ragged. All of them were scantily and poorly clothed. And if any additional proof were wanting that poverty, in one of its most trying shapes, had to come upon them, it was to be found in their pale, emaciated features, and in that languid look of care and depression, which any diminution in the natural quantity of food for any length of time uniformly impresses upon the countenance. In fact, the whole group had a sickly and woe-worn appearance, as was evident from the unnatural dejection of the young, who, instead of exhibiting the cheerfulness and animation of youth, now moped about without gaiety, sat brooding in corners, or struggled for a warm place nearest to the dull and cheerless fire. "'The day was, Donnell,' said Sullivan, whilst 
he pointed with a sigh to the unfurnished chimney when we could give you as i said a while agone a better welcome in one sense a mean better treatment than we can give you now but you know the times that is in it and you know the downcome we have got and that the whole country has got so you must only take the will for the deed now to such as we have your heartily welcome get us some dinner bridget he added turning to his wife but first and foremost bring that girl into the room here till she hears what i have to say to her and donnel as you were a witness to the disgraceful sight we seen a while agone come in and hear too what i'm going to say to her i'll have no black thrashin in my own family against my own blood and against the blood of my loving brother that was so treacherously shed by that boy's father the persons he addressed immediately passed into the cold damp room as he spoke mave the cause of all this anxiety evidently in such a state of excitement as was pitiable her mother who as well as every other member of the family had been ignorant of this extraordinary attachment seemed perfectly bewildered by the language of her husband at whom as at her daughter she looked with a face on which might be read equal amazement and alarm mave sullivan was a young creature shaped with extraordinary symmetry and possessed of great natural grace her stature was tall and all her motions breathed unsteady ease and harmony in color her long abundant hair was beautifully fair precisely of that delightful shade which generally accompanies a pale but exquisitely clear and almost transparent complexion her face was oblong and her features so replete with an expression of innocence and youth as left on the beholder a conviction that she breathed of utter guilelessness and angelic purity itself this was principally felt in the bewitching charm of her smile which was irresistible and might turn the heart of a demon into love all her motions were light and elastic and her whole figure though not completely developed was sufficiently rounded by the fullness of health and youth to give promise of a rich and luxurious maturity on this occasion she became deadly pale but as she was one of those whose beauty only assumes a new phase of attraction at every change her paleness now made her appear if possible an object of greater interest in god's name jerry asked her mother looking from father to daughter in a state of much distress what is wrong or what has happened to put you in such a condition i see by the anger in your eye and the whiteness of your cheeks barrin the little red spot in the middle that something out of the way all out has happened to vex you you may well say so bridget he replied but when i tell you that i came upon that undutiful daughter of ours caught and wit the son of the man that murdered her uncle my only brother you won't be surprised at the state you see me in courtin wid a fellow that dan mcgowan here knows will be hanged yet for he's just after tellin him so your raven jerry exclaimed his wife who appeared to feel the matter as incredible 
you don't mean to tell me that she'd spake to or know or make any freedoms whatsoever with young condy dalton the son of her uncle's murderer hut no jerry don't say that at any events any disgrace but that death the grave or or anything but such an unnatural curse as that would be i found them together behind the garden not many minutes ago replied sullivan donald here seen them as well as i did deny it she can't and now let her say what brought her there to meet him or rather what brought him all the way to meet her answer me that you disgrace to the name answer me at once the poor girl trembled and became so weak as to be scarcely able to stand in fact she durst not raise her eye to meet that of either parent but stood condemned and incapable of utterance the night had now nearly set in and one of her little sisters entered with a rush candle in her hand the light of which as it fell dimly and feebly on the group gave to the proceedings a wild and impressive appearance the prophecy man with his dark stern look peculiar nose and black raven hair that fell thickly over his shoulders contrasted strongly with the fair artless countenance and beautiful figure of the girl who stood beside him whilst over opposite them were sullivan himself and his wife their faces pale with sorrow anxiety and indignation give me the candle proceeded her father hand it to me child and leave the room then he proceeded holding it up to a great coat of frieze which hung against the wall there's his coat there's my loving brother's coat look upon it now and ax yourself what do you desire for meeting against our will and consentin the son of him that was the murderer of the man that owned it on his hands and on his heart what do you deserve i say the girl spoke out but the black prophet struck by the words and the unexpected appearance of the murdered man's coat started in a moment however he composed himself and calmly turned his eyes upon sullivan who proceeded to address his daughter you have nothing to say then you're guilty and of course you have no excuse to make however i'll soon put an end to all this bring me a prayer-book if your book oath can bind you down against ever he could proceed no further on uttering the last words his daughter tottered and would have fallen to the ground had not donald dhu caught her in his arms she had in fact become almost insensible from excess of shame and over-excitement and as donnel carried her towards a bed that was in the corner of the room her head lay over against his face it is unnecessary to say that sullivan's indignation was immediately lost in alarm on bringing the candle near her the first thing they observed were streaks of blood upon donnel dhu's face that gave to it in connection with the mark of the blow he had received a frightful and hideous expression what is this exclaimed her mother seizing the candle and holding it to the beautiful features of her trembling daughter which were now also dabbled with blood in god's name what ails my child oh mave mave my darlin what's come over you blessed mother of marcy what blood is this achora mccree mave spake to me to the mother that'd go distracted and that will too if anything's wrong with you 
it was cruel in you jerry to speak to her so harsh as you did and to take her to task before a stranger in such a cutting manner saviour of earth mave darlin won't you speak to me to your own mother maybe i did speak to her too severely said the father now relenting and if i did may god forgive me for sure you know bridget i wouldn't injure a hair of my darlin's head but this blood this blood oh where did it come from her weakness however proved of but short duration and their apprehension was soon calmed mave looked around her rather wildly and no sooner had her eyes rested on donald dhu than she shrieked aloud and turning her face away from him with something akin to fear and horror she flung herself into her mother's arms exclaiming as she hid her face in her bosom oh save me from that man don't let him near me don't let him touch me i can't tell why but i'm deadly afraid of him what blood is that upon his face father stand between us foolish girl exclaimed her father you don't know what you're saying of course donnell you'll not heed her words for indeed she hasn't come to herself yet but in god's name where did this blood come from that's upon you and her you can't suppose jerry said donnell that the poor girl's words would make me take any notice of them she has been too much frightened and won't know maybe in a few minutes that she spoke them at all that's true said her mother but with regard to the blood she was about to proceed when mave rose up and requested to be taken out of the room bring me to the kitchen she said i'm afraid and see this blood mother precisely as she spoke a few drops of blood fell from her nose which of course accounted for its appearance on donald's face and probably for her terror also at his repulsive aspect what makes you afeard of poor donald asure asked her mother a man that wouldn't injure a hair of your head nor of one belonging to you and never did why when my father she returned spoke about the coat there and just as donald started i looked at it and seen it movin i don't know why but i got afeard of him sullivan held up the candle mechanically as she spoke towards the coat upon which they all naturally gazed but whether from its dim flickering light or the force of imagination cannot be determined one thing was certain the coat appeared actually to move again as if disturbed by some invisible hand again also the prophet involuntarily started but only for a single moment tut said he it's merely the unsteady light of the candle show it here he seized the rushlight from sullivan and approaching the coat held it so close to it that had there been the slightest possible motion it could not have escaped their observation now he added you see whether it moves or not but indeed the poor girl is so frightened by the great scolding she got that i don't wonder at the way she's in mrs sullivan kept still gazing at the coat in a state of terror almost equal to that of her daughter well said she i've often heard it said that one is sometimes to disbelieve their own eyes and only that i known the thing couldn't happen i would swear on the altar that i seen it movin 
i thought so myself too observed sullivan who also seemed to have been a good deal perplexed and awed by the impression but of course i agree with donnel that it was the unsteady light of the rush that made us think so how eva it doesn't matter now move or no move it won't bring him that owned it back to us so god rest him and now bridget try and give us something to eat before the girl leaves the room said the prophecy man let me spake what i think and what i know i've lost many a weary day and night in studying the further and in looking into what's to come i must spake then what i think and what i know regarding her i must for when the feelin is on me i can't keep the prophecy back oh let me go mother exclaimed the alarmed girl let me go i can't bear to look at him one minute o' culture till you hear what he has to say to you and she held her back with a kind of authoritative violence as mave attempted to leave the room don't be alarmed my pretty creature spoke the prophet don't be alarmed at what i'm going to say to you and about you for you needn't i see great good fortune before you i see a grand and handsome husband at your side and a fine house to live in i see stairs and carpets and horses and hounds and yourself with jewels in your white little ears and silks and satins on your pretty figure that's a waking dream i had and you may all mark my words if it doesn't come out true it's on the leaf and the leaf was open to me grandeur and wealth is before her for her beauty and her goodness will bring it all about and so i read it and what about the husband himself asked the mother whose affections caused her to feel a strong interest in anything that might concern the future interest of her daughter can you tell us nothing about his appearance that we might give a guess at him no replied mcgowan for such was the prophet's name not to you to none but herself can i give the marks and tokens that will enable her to know the man that is to be her husband when she sees him and to herself in the morning i will before i go that is if she'll allow me for what is written in the dark book ought to be read and expounded her beauty and her goodness will do it all the man's words were uttered in a voice so replete with those soft and insinuating tones that so powerfully operate upon the female heart they breathed to such an earnest spirit of good will joined to an evident admiration of the beauty and goodness he alluded to that the innocent girl notwithstanding her previous aversion felt something like gratification at what he said not on account of the prospects held out to her but because of the singular charm and affectionate spirit which breathed in his voice or might it not have been that delicate influence of successful flattery which so gently pervades the heart of woman and soothes that vanity which unconsciously lurks in the very purest and most innocent of the sex so far from being flattered by his predictions she experienced a strong sensation of disappointment because she knew where her affections at that moment rested and felt persuaded that if she were destined to enjoy the grandeur shadowed out for her it never could be with him whom she then loved notwithstanding all this 
she felt her repugnance against the prophet strongly counterbalanced by the strange influence he began to exercise over her and with this impression she and they passed to the kitchen where in a few minutes she was engaged in preparing food for him with a degree of good feeling that surprised herself there is scarcely anything so painful to hearts naturally generous like those of the sullivans as the contest between the shame and exposure of the conscious poverty on the one hand and the anxiety to indulge in a hospitable spirit on the other nobody unacquainted with ireland could properly understand the distress of mind which this conflict almost uniformly produces on the present occasion it was deeply felt by this respectable but declining family and mave the ingenuous and kind-hearted girl felt much of her unaccountable terror of this man removed by its painful exercise still her aversion was not wholly overcome although much diminished for ever as she looked at his swollen and disfigured face and thought of the mysterious motions of the murdered man's coat she could not avoid turning away her eyes and wishing that she had not seen him that evening the scanty meal was at length over a meal on which many a young eye dwelt with those yearning looks that take their character from the hungry and wolfish spirit which marks the existence of a hard year as it is called in our unfortunate country and which to a benevolent heart forms such a sorrowful subject for contemplation poor bridget sullivan did all in her power to prevent this evident longing from being observed by mcgowan by looking significantly shaking her head and knitting her brows at the children and when these failed she had recourse to threatening attitudes and all kinds of violent gestures and on these proving also unsuccessful she was absolutely forced to speak aloud come children start out now and play yourselves be off i say and don't stand ready to jump down the decent man's throat with every bit he ates she then drove them abroad somewhere but as the rain fell heavily the poor creatures were again forced to return and resume their pitiable watch until the two men had finished their scanty repast seated around the dull and uncomfortable fire the whole family now forgot the hunger and care for a time in the wild legends with which mcgowan entertained them until the hour of rest we haven't the best bed in the world observed sullivan nor the best bedclothes either but as i said before i wish for all our sakes they were better you must take your chance with these two slips of boys to-night as well as you can if you wish to tumble in now you may or maybe you'd join us in our prayers we strive god help us to say a rosary every night for after all there's nothing like putting oneself under the holy protection of the almighty blessed be his name indeed this sickness that's goin' is so rife and dangerous that it's good to strive to be prepared as it is indeed whatever comes whatever hunger or plenty sickness or health and may god keep us prepared always mcgowan seemed for a moment at a loss but almost immediately said in reply 
you are right jerry but as for me i say whatever prayers i do say always by myself for i can then get my mind fixed upon them better i'll just turn into bed then for troth i feel a little stiff and tired so you must only let me have my own way to-night to-morrow night i'll pray double he then withdrew to his appointed place of rest where after having partially undressed himself he lay down and for some time could hear no other sound than the solemn voices of this struggling and afflicted little fold as they united in offering up their pious and simple act of worship to that great being in whose providential care they felt such humble and confiding trust when their devotions were concluded they quietly and in a spirit at once of resignation and melancholy repaired to their respective sleeping-places with the exception of old sullivan himself who after some hesitation took down the great coat already so markedly alluded to and exclaiming partly to those within hearing i don't know but still there can't be any harm in it sure it's better that it should be doin some good than hangin up there idle against the wall such a night as this here dan for the first time since i put it up with my own hands except to shake the dust off of it i'm going to turn this big coat to some use there he added spreading it over them let it help to keep you warm to-night for god knows you want it you and them poor gorsoons your coverin is but light and you may hear the downpourin of rain that's in it and the wind too is rising fast every minute gettin so strong indeed that i doubt it'll be a storm before it stops and dan if it wouldn't be too much maybe you'd not object to offer up one potter and avi for the poor soul of him that owned it and that was brought to his account so suddenly and so terribly there he added fixing it upon them it helps to keep you warm at any rate and it's surely better to have it so employed than hanging idle as i said against the wall mcgowan immediately sat up in the bed and putting down his hands removed the coat we don't want it at all he replied take it away jerry do for heaven's sake the night's not at all so cold as you think and we'll keep one another warm enough without it never fear truth you do want it said sullivan for fair a gare it's the light coverin that's over you and them poor boys heigh-ho dan see what innocence is poor things they're sound already and may god pity them and provide for them or enable me to do it and as he looked down upon the sleeping lads the tears came so abundantly to his eyes that he was forced to wipe them away keep the coat dan he added you do want it no replied the other the truth is i couldn't sleep under it i'm very tiresome and a little thing frightens me oh said sullivan i didn't think of that in truth if you're tiresome it's more than the world believes of you well well i'll hang it up again so good-night and a sound sleep to you and to every man that has a free conscience in the sight of god no response was given to this prayer and his words were followed by a deep and solemn silence that was only broken occasionally by the heavy pattering of the descending rain 
and the fitful gusts of the blast as they rushed against the house and sung wildly among the few trees by which it and the garden were enclosed every one knows that a night of wind and storm if not rising actually to a tempest or hurricane is precisely that on which sleep is with its deepest influence upon men sullivan's family on that which we are describing were a proof of this at least until about the hour of three o'clock when they were startled by a cry for help so loud and frightful that in a moment he and the boys huddled on their dress and hurried to the bed in which the prophet lay in a minute or two they got a candle lit and truly the appearance of the man was calculated to drive fear and alarm into their hearts they found him sitting in the bed with his eyes so wild and staring that they seemed straining out of their sockets his hair was erect and his mouth half open and drawn back while the perspiration poured from him in torrents his hands were spread and held up with their palms outwards as if in the act of pushing something back that seemed to approach him help he shouted he is coming on me he will have me powerless in a minute he is grasping now as he stay back stay back here here help it's the murdered man he's upon me oh oh god he's coming nearer and nearer help me save me sullivan on holding the candle to his face perceived that he was still asleep and suspecting the nature of his dream he awoke him at once on seeing a portion of the family about him he started again and looked for a moment so completely aghast that he resembled horror personified who what what are you oh he exclaimed recovering and striving to compose himself ah good god what a frightful dream i had i thought i was murdering a man murdering the he paused and stared wildly about him murdering who asked jerry murdering hey ha why who talks about murdering compose yourself added sullivan you did but you're frightened you say you thought you were murdering someone who was it yes yes he replied it was myself i thought the murdered man was i mean that the man was murdering myself and he looked with a terrible shudder of fear towards the great coat hut said sullivan it was only a dream compose yourself why should you be alarmed your hand is free of it so as i said compose yourself put your trust in god and recommend yourself to his care it was a terrible dream said the other once more shuddering but then it was a dream good god yes however i ask pardon for disturbing you all and breaking in upon your sleep go to bed now i'm well enough only just set that bit of candle by the bedside for a while till i recover for i did get a fearful fright he then laid himself down once more and having wiped the perspiration from his forehead which was now cadaverous he bade them good-night and again endeavoured to compose himself to rest in this he eventually succeeded the candle burning itself out and in about three-quarters of an hour the whole family was once more wrapped in sound and uninterrupted repose the next morning the sullivan family rose to witness another weary and dismal day of incessant rain
and to partake of a breakfast of thin stirabout made and served up with that woeful ingenuity which necessity the mother of invention in periods of scarcity as well as in matters of different character had made known to the benevolent hearted wife of jerry sullivan that is to say the victuals were made so unsubstantially thin that in order to impose if possible on the appetite it was deemed necessary to deceive the eye by turning the plates and dishes round and round several times while the viands were hot so as by spreading them over a larger surface to give the appearance of a greater quantity it is heaven knows a melancholy cheat but one with which the periodical famines of our unhappy country have made our people too well acquainted previous however to breakfast the prophet had a private interview with mave or the gregal as she was generally termed to denote her beauty and extraordinary power of conciliating affection gregal signifying the fair love or to give the more comprehensive meaning which it implied the fair-haired beauty whom all love or who wins all love this interview lasted at least a quarter of an hour or it might be twenty minutes but as the object of it did not then transpire we can only explain the appearances which followed it so far at least as the party themselves were concerned the gregal as we shall occasionally call her seemed pleased if not absolutely gratified by the conversation that passed between them her eye was elated and she moved about like one who appeared to have been relieved from some reflection that had embarrassed and depressed her still it might have been observed that this sense of relief had nothing in it directly affecting the person of the prophet himself on whom her eyes fell from time to time with a glance that changed its whole expression of satisfaction to one of pain and dislike on his part there also appeared a calm sedate feeling of satisfaction under which however an eye better acquainted with human nature might easily detect a triumph he looked to those who could properly understand him precisely as an able diplomatist would who had succeeded in gaining a point when breakfast was over and previous to his departure he brought jerry sullivan and his wife out to the barn and in a tone and manner of much mystery assuming at the same time that figurative and inflated style so peculiar to him and also to his rival the sanachi he thus addressed him listen said he listen jerry sullivan and bridget his wife a child was born and a page was written the moon saw it and the stars saw it but the sun did not for he is dark to fate and sees nothing but the face of nature do you understand that jerry sullivan and you bridget his wife while truth we can't say we do yet at all events they replied but how could we you know if it's regardin prophecy you're spakin understand it he replied contemptuously you understand it no nor father felmy cochran himself couldn't understand it and he fasted and prayed and refrained from liquor for that's the way to get the ray of knowledge at least it's the way i got it first however 
let that pass as i was saying a child was born and a page was written and an angel from heaven was sent to nebuchadnezzar the prophet who was commanded to write what will i write says nebuchadnezzar the prophet write down the fate of a female child by name mave sullivan daughter to jerry sullivan and his wife bridget of ognamorin amen says the prophet fate is fate what's before is not behind neither is what's behind before and everything will come to pass that's to happen amen again says the prophet and what am i to write grandeur and wealth upstairs and downstairs silks and satins an inside car bracelets earrings and spanish boots made of morocco leather tanned at cordovan amen again says nebuchadnezzar the prophet this is not that neither is that the other but every is everything neither can something be nothing nor nothing something to the end of time and time itself is but cousin jarman to eternity as is recorded in the great book of fate fortune and fatality write again says the angel what am i to write at the name of mabel sullivan place along with all the rest two great paragons of a woman's life marriage and prosperity write marriage happy and prosperity numerous and so the child's born and the page written beauty and goodness a happy father and a proud mother both made wealthy through her means and so he proceeded dropping the recitative and resuming his natural voice be kind and indulgent to your daughter for she'll yet live to make all your fortunes take care of her and yourself till i seize yous again and without adding another word he departed chapter four a dance and double discovery the dance to which sarah mcgowan went after the conflict with her stepmother was but a miserable specimen of what a dance usually is in ireland on that occasion there were but comparatively few assembled and these few as may be guessed consisted chiefly of those gay and frolicsome spirits whom no pressure of distress nor anything short of sickness or death could sober down into seriousness the meeting in fact exhibited a painful union of mirth and melancholy the season brought with it none of that relief to the peasantry which usually makes autumn so welcome on the contrary the failure of the potato crop especially in its quality as well as that in the grain generally was not only the cause of hunger and distress but also of the sickness which prevailed the poor were forced as they too often are to dig their potatoes before they were fit for food and the consequences were disastrous to themselves in every sense sickness soon began to appear but then it was supposed that as soon as the new grain came in relief would follow in this expectation however they were alas most woefully disappointed the wetness of the summer and autumn had soured and fermented the grain so lamentably that the use of it transformed the sickness occasioned by the unripe and bad potatoes into a terrible and desolating epidemic at the period we are treating of this awful scourge 
had just set in and was beginning to carry death and misery in all their horrors throughout the country it was no wonder then that at the dance we are describing there was an almost complete absence of that cheerful and light-hearted enjoyment which is or at least which was to be found at such meetings it was besides owing to the severity of the evening but thinly attended such a family had two or three members of it sick another had buried a fine young woman a third an only son a fourth had lost the father and the fifth of the mother of a large family in fact the conversation on this occasion was rather a catalogue of calamity and death than that hearty ebullition of animal spirits which throws its laughing and festive spirits into such assemblies two there were however who despite of the gloom which darkened both the dance and the day contrived to sustain our national reputation for gaiety and mirth one of these was our friend sarah or as she was better known sally mcgowan and the other a young fellow named charlie hanlon who acted as a kind of gardener and steward to dick of the grange this young fellow possessed great cheerfulness and such an everlasting fund of mirth and jocularity as made him the life and soul of every dance wake and merry meeting in the parish he was quite a lothario in his sphere a lady killer and so general an admirer of the sex that he invariably made love to every pretty girl he met or could lure into conversation the usual consequences followed nobody was such a favourite with the sex in general who were ready to tear each other's caps about him as they sometimes actually did and indeed this is not at all to be wondered at the fellow was one of the most open hardy liars that ever lived of shame he had heard but of what it meant no earthly eloquence could give him the slightest perception and we need scarcely add that his assurance was boundless as were his powers of flattery it is unnecessary to say then that a man so admirably calculated to succeed with the sex was properly appreciated by them and that his falsehood flattery and assurance were virtues which enshrined the vagabond in their hearts in short he had got the character of being a rake and he was necessarily obliged to suffer the agreeable penalty of their admiration and favour in consequence the fellow besides was by no means ill-looking nor ill-made but just had enough of that kind of face and figure which no one can readily either find fault with or praise this gallant and sally mcgowan were in fact the life of the meeting and sally besides had the reputation of being a great favourite with him a circumstance which considerably diminished her popularity with her own sex she herself felt towards him that kind of wild indomitable affection which is as vehement as it is unregulated in such minds as hers for instance she made no secret of her attachment to him but on the contrary gloried in it even to her father who on this subject could exercise no restraint whatsoever over her 
it is not our intention to entertain our readers with the history of the occurrences which took place at the dance as they are in fact not worth recording hanlon at its close prepared to see sally home as is usual you may come with me near home she replied but i'm not going home to-night why where the dickens are you going then he asked to barney gornley's wake there will be lots of fun there too she replied but come you can come with me as far as the turn-up to the house for i won't go in nor go home neither till after the burial to-morrow do you know said he rather gravely the grey stones that at the mouth of the black glen i ought said she sure that's where the carman was found murdered the same added hanlon well i must go that far to-night said he and that's just where i turn off to gormley's so far then we'll be together he replied but why that far only charley eh that's what you could never guess said he and very few else either but go i must and go i will at all events i'll be company for you in passin it are you never afeard at night as you go near it devil a taste she replied what did i be afraid of my father laughs at such things although she added musing i think he's sometimes timorous for all that but i know he's often out at all hours and he says he doesn't care about ghosts i know i don't the conversation now flagged a little and hanlon who had been all the preceding part of the evening full of mirth and levity could scarcely force himself to reply to her observations or sustain any part in the dialogue why what the sorrows comin over you she asked as they began to enter into the shadow of the hill at whose foot her father's cabin stood and which here for about two hundred yards fell across the road it is getting afeard are you no he replied but i was given to understand last night that if i come this night to the greystone i'd find out a secret that i'd give a great deal to know very well she replied we'll see that and now raise your spirits here we're in the moonlight thank goodness such as it is dear me thin but it's an awful night and the wind's risin' and listen to the flood how it roars in the glen below like a thousand bulls it is he replied but hold your tongue now for a little and you're here stop with me for a while although i don't see how i'm likely to come by much knowledge in such a place as this they now approached the grey stone and as they did the moon came out a little from her dark shrine of clouds but merely with that dim and feeble light which was calculated to add ghastliness and horror to the wildness and desolation of the place sally could now observe that her companion was exceedingly pale and agitated his voice as he spoke became disturbed and infirm and as he laid his hand upon the grey stone he immediately withdrew it and taking off his hat he blessed himself and muttered a short prayer with an earnestness and solemnity for which she could not account having concluded it both stood in silence for a short time he awaiting the promised information for which on this occasion he appeared likely to wait in vain 
and she without any particular purpose beyond her natural curiosity to watch and know the event the place at that moment was indeed a lonely one and it was by no means surprising that apart from the occurrence of two murders one on and the other near the spot where they stood the neighboring peasantry should feel great reluctance in passing it at night the light of the moon was just sufficient to expose the natural wildness of the adjacent scenery the glen itself lay in the shadow of the hill and seemed to the eye so dark that nothing but the huge outlines of the projecting crags whose shapes appeared in the indistinctness like gigantic spectres could be seen while all around and where the pale light of the moon fell nothing was visible but the muddy gleams of the yellow flood as it rushed with its hoarse and incessant roar through a flat country on whose features the storm and the hour had impressed a character of gloom and the most dismal desolation nay the still appearance of the grey stone or rock at which they stood had when contrasted with the moving elements about them and associated with the murder committed at its very foot a solemn appearance that was of itself calculated to fill the mind with awe and terror hanlon felt this as indeed his whole manner indicated well said his companion alluding to the short prayer he had just concluded i didn't expect to see you at your prayers like a votine this night at any rate is it fear that makes you so pious upon your hands truth i doubt there's a white feather a cowardly drop in you still and all if you can be one minute serious sally do i beg of you i am very much disturbed i acknowledge and so would you maybe if you knew as much as i do you're the color of death she replied putting her fingers upon his cheek and my god it is perspiration i feel such a night as this i declare to goodness it is give me the white pocket-handkerchief that you say peggy murray gave you where is it she proceeded taking it out of his pocket ah i-i have it stoop a little take care of your hat here now and while speaking she wiped the cold perspiration from his forehead is this the one she made you a present of and put the letters on it is he replied the very same but she didn't make me a present of it she only hemmed it for me that's a lie of you she replied fiercely she bought it for you out of her own pocket i know that much she told kate duffy so herself and boasted of it but wait well replied hanlon anxious to keep down the gust of jealousy which he saw rising and if she did how could i prevent her what letters did she put on it p and an m he replied the two first letters of my name that's another lie she exclaimed they're not the two first letters of your name but of her own there's no m in hanlon at any rate unless you give the same handkerchief to me i'll make it be a black business to her at any rate unless you give the same handkerchief to me i'll make it be a black business to her keep it keep it with all my heart he replied glad to get rid of a topic which at that moment came on him so powerfully and unseasonably 
do what you like with it. You say so willingly now, do you? To be sure I do, and you may tell the whole world that I said so, if you like. P.M. Oh, aye, that's for Peggy Murray. Maybe the letters I saw on the old tobacco box I found in the hole of the wall to-day were for Peggy Murray. Ha, ha, ha! Oh, maybe I won't have a brag over her. What letters? asked Hanlon eagerly. A tobacco box, did you say? Aye, did I a tobacco box. I found it in a hole in the wall in our house to-day. It tumbled out while I was getting some cobwebs to stop a bleedin'. Was it a good one? asked Hanlon with apparent carelessness. Could one use it? Hardly, but no, it's all rusty and has but one hinge. But one hinge, repeated the other who was almost breathless with anxiety and the letters what's this you say they were the very same that's on your handkerchief she replied a p and an m great god he exclaimed is this possible heavens what is that did you hear anything what ails you she inquired why do you look so frightened did you hear nothing he asked again ha ha here she replied laughing here I thought I heard something like a groan, but sure tis only the wind. Lord, what a night! Listen how the wind and storm growls and tyrannizes and rages down in the glen there and about the hills. Faith, there'll be many a house stripped this night. Why, what ails you? After all, you're but a hen-hearted devil, I doubt. Sorry thing else. Hanlon made her no reply, but took his hat off, and once more offered up a short prayer, apparently in deep and most extraordinary excitement. I see, she observed, after he had concluded, that you're bent on your devotions this night, and the devil's own place you've pitched upon for them. Well, now, replied Hanlon, I'll be bidding you good night, but before you go, promise to get me that tobacco box you found. It's the least you may give it to me for Peggy Murray's handkerchief. Hut, returned Sally, it's not worth a thrinine. You couldn't use it even if you had it. Sure, it's both rusty and broken. No matter for that, he replied. I want to play a trick on Peggy Murray with it, so as to have a good laugh against her, the pair of us, you with the handkerchief and me with the tobacco box. Very well, she replied. Ha, 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 that'll be great. At any rate, I've a crow to pluck with the same Peggy Murray. Oh, never you fear, you must have it. The minute I get my hands on it, I'll secure it for you. After a few words more of idle chat, they separated. He to his master's house, which was a considerable distance off, and this extraordinary creature, unconscious of the terrors and other weaknesses that render her sex at once so dependent on and so dear to man, full only of delight at the expected glee of the wake, to the house of death where it was held. In the country parts of Ireland it is not unusual for those who come to a wake-house from a distance to remain there until the funeral takes place, and this also is frequently the case with the nearest door neighbours. There is generally a solemn hospitality observed on the occasion of which the two classes i mention partake sally's absence therefore on that night or for the greater portion of the next day excited neither alarm nor surprise at home 
on entering their miserable shiling she found her father who had just returned and her stepmother in high words the cause of which she soon learned had originated in his account of the interview between young dalton and mave sullivan together with its unpleasant consequences to himself what else could you expect said his wife but what you got you're ever and always too ready with your devil's grin and your black prophecy to them you don't like i wonder you're not afeard that some of them might come back to yourself and fall upon your head if ever a man tempted providence you do ah dear me he exclaimed with a derisive sneer rendered doubly repulsive by his own hideous and disfigured face how pious we are providence indeed much i care about providence you hardened jade or you either whatever puts the word into your pretty mouth providence oh how much we regard it as if providence took heed of what we do go and get me something to put on this swellin you had better or if it's goin to grow religious you are be out of this we'll have none of your cant or pishthrogs here what's this inquired sarah seating herself on a three-legged stool the old work is it bell-cat bell-dog ah you're a blessed pair and a purty pair too you would your swell face and blinking eye arrah what decent man gave you that and you she added turning to her stepmother with your cheeks polstered and your eye blinkin on the other side what a pair of beauties you are ha 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 i wouldn't be surprised if the divil and his mother fell in concert with you both ha ha is that your manners after spend the night away with yourself asked her father angrily instead of stealin into the house tremblin with fear as you ought to be you walk in with your brazen face ballyraggin us like a hector divil a taste i'm afeard she replied sturdily i did nothing to be afeard or ashamed of and why should i did you see mr hanlon on your travels eh you didn't say hey about it she replied to be sure i did it was to meet him that i went to the dance i have no secrets ah you'll come to a good end yet i doubt said her father sure she needn't be afeard of providence anyhow observed his wife to the devil wid you at all events he replied if you're not off out o that to get me something for this swellin i'll make it worse for you ay ay i'll go looking at him with peculiar bitterness and with the help of some providence that you laugh at i'll take care that some roof won't cover the three of us long i'm tired of this life and come or go what may i'll look to my soul and lead it no longer do you mean to break our hearts he replied laughing for sure we couldn't do less after her sally eh ha 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 before you leave us anyhow he added go and get me some gyharawan roots to bring down this swellin i can't go to the grange with such a face as this on me you'll have a blacker and a worse one on the day of judgment replied nelly taking up an old spade as she spoke and proceeding to look for the kasharawan dandelion roots he wanted when she had gone the prophet assuming that peculiar sweetness of manner for which he was so remarkable when it suited his purpose turned to his daughter 
and putting his hand into his waistcoat pocket pulled out a tress of fair hair whose shade and silky softness were exquisitely beautiful do you see that said he isn't that pretty show she replied and taking the tress into her hand she looked at it it is lovely but isn't that equal to it she continued letting loose her own of raven black and equal gloss and softness what can it brag over that hey and as she compared them her black eye flashed and her cheek assumed a rich glow of pride and conscious beauty that made her look just such a being as an old grecian statuary would have wished to model from it is equal to hers any day replied her father softening into affection as he contemplated her and indeed sally i think you're her match every way except except no matter truth are you what are you going to do with it she asked is it to the grange it's going it is and i want you to help me in what i mentioned to you if i get what i am promised we'll have the country you and i and as for that old vagabond we'll pitch her to old nick she's talking about devotion and has nothing but providence in her lips but isn't there a providence asked his daughter with a sparkling eye devil a much myself knows or cares he replied with indifference whether there is or not because if there is she said pausing if there is one might as well she paused again and her fine features assumed an intellectual meaning a sorrowful and meditative beauty that gave a new and more attractive expression to her face than her father had ever witnessed on it before don't vex me sarah he replied snappishly maybe it's goin to imitate her you are the clergy knows these things maybe and maybe they don't i only wish she'd come back with a caharawan if all goes right i'll pocket what'll bring yourself and me to america i'm beginning somehow to get uneasy and i don't wish to stay in this country any longer whilst he spoke the sparkling and beautiful expression which had lit up his daughter's countenance passed away and with it probably the moment in which it was possible to have opened a new and higher destiny to her existence nelly in the meantime having taken an old spade with her to dig the roots she went in quest of turned up glendhu and kept searching for some time in vain until at length she found two or three bunches of the herb growing in a little lonely nook that lay behind a projecting ledge of rock where one would seldom think of looking for herbage at all here she found a little soft green spot covered over with dandelion and immediately she began to dig it up the softness of the earth and its looseness surprised her a good deal and moved by an unaccountable curiosity she pushed the spade further down until it was met by some substance that felt rather hard from this she cleared away the earth as well as she could and discovered that the spade had been opposed by a bone and on proceeding to examine still further she discovered that the spot on which the dandelions had grown contained the bones 
of a full-grown human body. End of section 2